Welcome to Build Beyond Bricks, the Western Sydney Community Forum podcast. A place to learn, share, connect and explore using analysis and insights to lead and shape the future of communities. Hello and welcome everybody to our Build Beyond Bricks platform, which as you know, is all about building communities. So my name's Billy Sankovic and I'm from the team at Western Sydney Community Forum and I'm your host again for today's uh, conversation. So welcome back. Today is all continues our COVID-19 special, and that special is all about unpacking the impacts on community services agencies who are at the forefront of supporting people who are experiencing vulnerability. And it's also a place where we share our ideas, our tools, our experiences, and our thoughts about how to manage uh, and work with communities at the local level every day. And, and in that way, we can support each other in, in servicing local communities across Greater Western Sydney. So thanks again for joining us. And our, our guest today is Angela Van Dyke. Uh, Angela is the Chief Executive Officer at Riverston Neighbourhood Centre and Community Aid Service in Blacktown. Angela, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Billy, and a wonderful opportunity to share. There are so many agencies out there on the ground uh, right across Western Sydney and, and nationally that are managing what COVID-19 has brought and, and working with local communities who are really um, experiencing some key vulnerabilities. So, Angela, to kick off, let's um, or tell us a little bit about Riverston Neighbourhood Centre and Community Aid Service and the type of programs that you offer. Thank you, Billy. Well, we're based in um, Blacktown Northwest Precinct, so within, we're within the Blacktown LGA. We are funded by a range of state and federal agencies to offer services and programs for people across the lifespan. So, you know, it's one of those neighbourhood centres that has all sorts of people of all ages coming through. Um, we pride ourselves on making sure we can offer opportunities um, and inclusion to everyone in our community, including the most vulnerable. We offer yes. in-reach opportunities, um, facilities and infrastructure for people to run a range of different activities, interagencies, and of course, all the wonderful things like supporter playgroups and youth activities, um, mm -hmm. helping people with challenges in their lives when they may strike, such as with homelessness or DV, and working with lots of other wonderful services that we encourage them to provide in our buildings to make them more accessible to our community. So you're working really across the community with different groups like children and young people and older people, families. So it's quite diverse, the type of services that you offer on the ground and, and to different groups in the community by the sounds of it. Absolutely. And never a dull day. And the team would never say they're bored. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. I'm sure it sounds like it keeps you very busy. Uh, so Angela, I know that COVID-19 has had a particular impact on, on Riverston in particular and your neighbourhood centre and community aid service. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, thank you, Billy. Um, so we had a positive test case a few weeks back and I am mindful of not um, breaching people's confidentiality. So um, in a nutshell, we weren't expecting it. It came out of the blue, as you could imagine, and it really did put the entire team into a bit of a spin around how best to manage that yes. um, and how best to protect 
you know, our workforce, our volunteers, our clients, the inreach services, everybody that's involved in our um, the various buildings in our precinct. I suppose in terms of that experience, it was at a time when things were just beginning to build momentum with the pandemic here in Australia. And I suppose we didn't have as many resources available to us and guidance about how to manage this. So it was something very new and unprecedented, well and truly, and um, it's been an interesting journey. And not only did it impact on, um, on, on the workforce and the, and the communities that you work with, but no doubt it impacted on the, on the services that you provide and the way that you provided those services. So what are some of the, the strategies that you put in place, not only to manage the, the positive result, uh, but also just to, to, to manage the impacts of COVID-19 generally? From our experience, the key thing is to get our heads around it's not business as usual and it can't possibly be. Yes, that's absolutely <laughs> um, right. And that's that's a struggle for a workforce and people in a profession who are carers, um, care for others all the time, you know, always put the needs of others in the community ahead of their own. So that that was has been quite a dilemma and a challenge. And I think the other thing is, you know, for us, it was very much um, learning quickly and doing things retrospectively and um, recognising that for all our regulated standards, accountabilities and practices, we had to roll things out as they were coming, as we were identifying um, things that needed to happen. Mm. So, you know, that being kind to yourself and saying, well, you know, it's not ideal, but this is what we have to do now and really focusing on what's critical right now rather than our ideal service delivery mode. When we looked at this, if I if I think about all the different components of how much work this has entailed, I sort of come back to the three things of people, process and place. And that's been an easy way for me to compartmentalise all the different elements of work. Yes, there are very... I easy to identify things around moving people to work remotely. We made a decision to close down on the day that the information came through. Yes. We, we had already been having discussions as a team sort of the fortnight before thinking, you know, it's not if we're going to be shut down, it's when. So we were already starting mm-hmm. to look at our operational needs, back of house, how could we transition to work remotely because, our commitment was to keep providing services, not to close down the service. Mm. And there's a difference between closing down your buildings and closing down a service. Yeah, so Angela, I think that is a really important point. And certainly in my conversations with um, colleagues over the last few weeks, that, that's one of the key things that's coming through. There is a difference between closing buildings and closing service. So so thank you for raising that point because that's a, that's a theme that we've been hearing uh, mm. across Western Sydney uh, in the last couple of weeks. You've closed, you've had to close your buildings, especially with a positive test. Mm. So what what particular service um, did you shift? Can you give us some examples around that, uh, uh, an example of a service that you shifted? Part of this challenge in this journey was the coming back to it's not business as usual and recognising the anxiety and fear of that positive case. Yes. Realising our first priority was complying with all the requirements around public health. Yes. Um, and following all the processes there, supporting the the group of people who were exposed on that, potentially exposed on that 
to that case. And also then looking at having very clear communication and keeping calm in a time of what I can best describe as mayhem mm. uh, with my, my staff, the volunteers who are critical for the services we provide and are not paid to put themselves yes. out there. My committee, um, making sure that we are all on the same page about what we're doing, why we're doing, and that we can justify our logic. Obviously, our, our funders were in important stakeholders. Like many other neighbourhood centres, we um, are very much supported by our local council, the Blacktown City Council premises, and, you know, making sure that we're meeting their requirements also in, in this um, instance. Yes. There, there were a lot of different stakeholders um, that we needed to be talking to and communicating. And I suppose a key learning here, we... Perhaps we're hoping we would have more direct guidance from even perhaps, say, our funding bodies or some of the peaks that we rely on. Yes. Um, because our peak bodies have a very important role to play for organisations like ours, um, but also from health. And what we discovered was the context at the time didn't offer what we needed. And what we had was instructions on using PPE, infection control, information sheets on display and screening tools for when people were walking in. Yes. Um, but not much further than that. So we've really, um, when, when the notification came through, it was quite a challenge to get our heads around, well, now what? <laughs> yeah, how do you respond to that and how do you respond to it in a way that um, mm -hmm. doesn't impact on those people that you work with um, mm -hmm. and also continues to support others in the, you know, in the community that you're working with while trying to manage the logistics of having um, a positive case in your service. Absolutely. So just um, for the benefit of others out there, what we ended up reverting to, believe it or not, yes. was workplace health and safety because yeah. it's one of those policy and tool frameworks, the risk management, the matrix, we're all very familiar with it. We know how to use it really well. Yes. And we've been going around and around in circles trying to find the best way to move forward and how to rationalise that to all the different stakeholders that we are accountable to, and we all are. We have many masters to serve, if I can put it that way. Yes. Workplace health and safety was the thing that triggered clarity for us. Undertaking that approach made it very clear about the significant risk we were facing. Yes. And the decision was then easy. Angela, I have to say that is such a good example of um, a tool for people to use when they are working in such an uncertain environment where it's happened, things are changing so rapidly and when, when you look around you and your funders, your peak bodies are grappling with that uncertainty as well and also uncertain about how they can support you. Having a tool, a tangible um, tool like a, a risk assessment process to for you to sit down and to think through how you need to respond was um, an excellent way forward, if I, if I can say. Yes, it was. And it was, um, you know, it's always challenging. Our profession is full of people who care so much about others. Yes. And... A big challenge was getting the whole team on board on that day to understand that this was not a negotiable. There were no excuses we could throw out. There was nowhere to hide that, you know, we're, we have to keep serving community as we always have. It really got us thinking about what is our core business right now, having that information before us. Yeah. And how do we manage that messaging 
people, you know, our team, our volunteers, our clients, all yes. the wonderful stakeholders, the people, even the antenatal clinic who come into our centre twice a week to look after pregnant mums. Yeah. You know, it was so rushed and difficult and also for our funders who at the time were still in a position of please keep delivering as you need to for your funding agreements. Meanwhile, you were trying to deal with this significant issue that you were being faced with in terms of a positive mm. and, 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 of course, looking at your service. But I find it's really interesting that you say that it, it put you in a position where you had to stop and think, well, why are we here? Reflecting on your core business, as you say, that's really interesting. Um, that And was it the risk assessment tool that that forced you to do that when you sat down to, to think about the way forward? I think the risk assessment gave us the permission, if I can put it that way, to make a very difficult decision that services are very reluctant to make in our sector. It allowed us to do that. The next step was the fear of everybody involved that we would not be able to meet our obligations to our funders and that the yes. consequences of that could be quite catastrophic for our community. Yes. As you know, we are the only service actually based out in that precinct. It is quite isolated geographically. Um, and so the idea of losing funding, and even though that was never a threat from any funding body, I just need to be clear, but we're all yeah. in an environment that's very competitive. It's hard to get resources yeah. So what we have is very much valued. The journey then was thinking about all our previous conversations about how we would provide services moving forward. It was the reality that in the short term, because of the positive test, and I know for organisations that have gone to remote functioning without a positive test, their journey may have been better, to be honest. Of course, um, they're very different, no doubt. Because for us, there was an awful lot of fear and anxiety Um Part of our process was looking at an audit of our workforce and their um, risk factors relating to the virus. So, you know, I had 40% who um, we knew would be at risk of the virus if they were exposed. Um, same for our volunteers. That was critical. Um, we also, it was helping people understand that the new way that we were proposing to work remotely actually still met our core functions under our funding, even though it would be delivered differently and look different. We yeah. could, with the good remote access and we had a great IT consultant, yes. we could still capture all our data. We would still have a reception line working. People could still get the help they needed. And the reality that, you know, in the first fortnight, we were going to be in crisis control. Mm -hmm. um, not only for the team, but also for our volunteers who were fearful for the clients who thought they were going to be left without nothing. Yes. Um, and so the first fortnight has been exhausting for the team. If we talk about impact, oh, it's not just the money of technology and phones. Yes, Working remotely comes with its own unique challenges and we have found that people have been working many more hours. It's much more intense work with people on the phone one-on-one. And the first fortnight, we didn't even think about um, group activities or anything else. It was purely supporting our clients, following up with people and making sure that they knew connections were still available to them. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it's only in the last week that we've really felt we could breathe as a team and start to talk about and implement some new online activities that allow people to actually connect 
without yeah. physically being close to each other. Yes. Social isolation and distance, but still being able to connect. Angela, that is some really, really important key messages that you've talked about in terms of your experience and Riverston Neighbourhood Centre and Community Aid's experience in managing over the last couple of weeks. I think I think the fact that you really drew on a basic tool and a risk, uh, risk assessment and work health and safety process that you had in place and used that tool to guide your, your decisions moving forward, the fact that that forced you to reflect on who you are and what you do and how, you know, how your business works and I think importantly the key message that also that you talked about just now is around the need for for new resources and new skills even um, in terms of shifting shifting uh, what you do so that you can continue to support communities on the ground well it's been it's been an extraordinary couple of weeks for you and, and for your team no doubt and I and and I can certainly hear that in in you know, the sharing of your experiences. It has indeed. Um, a key learning for us as a group of professionals is recognising that we have a duty of care to our workforce as much yes. as we do to our community members that we serve. Yes. And it's balancing that so that we don't forget that, in fact, we matter. And if we don't look after ourselves, we won't be good to anybody. Yes, yes, absolutely right. That's that's correct. Um, look, Angela, thank you, um, thank you for for coming along today and sharing that experience with us. I think in closing, um, what's the key thing that is on your mind in terms of the next step? I think for us moving forward, it's sustaining our team and looking at what we can offer to keep people functioning and well over the next whatever period of time we're facing. Yes. And one of the strategies we're using is some of those activities we're rolling out for our community online. <clears throat> yes. We've made a decision that <clears throat> every day if there's something on that the team would like to participate in, that becomes part of their um, care plan for the day and that's yeah. work time. So that half-hour activity is time out, whether it's exercise, whether it's Tai Chi, whether it's the yoga, yes. whatever it is. I suppose the other thing is the technology isn't as great as everyone makes it out to be. <laughs> mm. And the internet and phone lines aren't always reliable and we just have to be patient. We have to remember it's not business as usual. Yes. We can still have value and do great work and support yeah. vulnerable people in our community, yes. even if it's in a different way. Angela, I think I think that key message of duty and care, balancing duty of care and self-care and the how important that is at this period of time so that you can actually do what you need to do and, and support local communities is, is fundamental. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks for being our guest uh, today for the podcast. So Angela Van Dyke, uh, Chief Executive Officer of Riverston Neighbourhood Centre and Community Aid Service. Um, Angela, stay well and um, good luck to you and your team. And thanks, thanks so much for taking the time to share your experiences with us. 
Thank you. And thank you to everyone listening and um, stay safe, everyone. Thanks, Angela. So for more information uh, about Angela and to get in touch with Angela about her experiences and, and chat to her, check the podcast notes below and you'll find her details there. So a as Angela said, it's, it's a great time of uncertainty and, and we don't know, we're not certain of what to do or how to do it and none of us really have the answers and, and we're hoping that we're, we're doing the best that we can to move forward. And these podcasts and our COVID-19 specials are all about exploring that and sharing our tools and our stories and experiences. So thanks to you for joining us and please get in touch at any time with your thoughts and questions. Stay well and goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to Build Beyond Bricks by Western Sydney Community Forum, the region's social development council, providing programs, services, analysis and insights. To learn more, visit us at wscf.org.au.